Well, it's great to be here at the Great Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary for the GO Conference. And I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 and just kind of hold your finger there for a moment. But before we turn to that, I want you to just look at the screen for something that caught my eye about a year or so ago. Meet Jack Torrance. I'm outlining a new writing project. He's a writer looking for inspiration. Lots of ideas. No good ones. Meet Danny. He's a kid looking for a dad. There's hardly anybody to play with around here. What's up, Doc? Jack just can't finish his book. I don't want to sound melodramatic, but there's no way to make it economically feasible. Here's to five miserable months. But now, sometimes, what we need the most is just around the corner. I'm your new foster father. I'd do anything. Climbing up on Salisbury Hill. I love it. I could see the city light. Now, the reason that caught my eye is because that is a bloody, gory horror film from the 1970s written by Stephen King. That this guy went in and said, I'm just going to make a different trailer for that movie. And all he did was to take scenes from the movie, didn't add anything to it, just put them in a different order, put some different music to it, and it looks exactly like any trailer for any cheesy romantic comedy that you could ever find. Guy went in and did the same thing with the cheesy romantic comedies and, and turned Sleepless in Seattle uh, or You've Got Mail into a horror movie by simply showing some, some selected scenes from those movies with the, the music going at selected times and having a voice that was voicing it over that sounded more scary. And you can do the exact same thing with the trailer. Now, when you go into a movie theater and you're looking at a trailer, the whole point is for you to get a little bit of a feel for what that movie is like to know whether or not you want to go and see the actual film. If you go in and you see a trailer that inaccurately describes the film that you are going to see, so that you think you are going in to see a heartwarming family comedy and you see a bloody movie about a serial killer, that's not been an effective trailer. And if you think that you're going in to see a movie about a hair-raising, scary uh, murder mystery thriller, and instead you go in and you see a romantic comedy, that is not an effective trailer. It's not a good preview for what it is that you are going to see. Now, the reason that that's important is because we're all designed to know that, to see what it is that we see beforehand that is trying to tell us what we're going to see later. And the scripture tells us 
that the church, that the people of God, the body of Christ, is a movie trailer of a film that's yet to come. The body of Christ is a sign, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, of the manifold wisdom of God in building his kingdom. When people see the church, when people see the kingdom of God now, what they're seeing is a sign of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And you are a sign of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It's just a matter of whether you are an accurate sign or an inaccurate sign of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. We signal in our lives either things that are true about the future that God has for the world or we signal things that are false. And that's exactly the problem that the Apostle Peter is dealing with in 1 Peter chapter 2 as he writes to the churches that are scattered all over this part of the world talking about their responsibilities. These are churches that are scared, churches that are even confused because there's persecution and there's hardship coming upon them. And Peter writes and says, this is who you are and this is how you are to live. Now, when you think about this issue of the glory of God in the public square, one of the things that we can easily do is to assume that that is something that is simply for politicians or simply for pundits on TV or it's simply for people who work in ideas that have to do with politics and culture. Every Christian is embedded within the public square. Every Christian is saying things or not saying things, doing things or not doing things that are speaking into and even contributing to what is happening in the world and in the life all around us, which is why it's so important for us to understand how we are to manifest the glory of God in public. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's read starting with verse 6 and read on down through verse 17. And if you would, since these words were breathed out by the Holy Spirit and come to us with the exact same authority as if our Lord Jesus were standing here physically, verbally speaking these words, would you please stand with me out of reverence for the voice of our King? The Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Peter, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." So, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the 
passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Holy Father, we pray tonight that you would be present with us this evening by your spirit and by your word. And Father, as our brother J.D. mentioned a few minutes ago, we pray that we would yield ourselves to your power, your working through us, that you might through this evening and through this night chip away at whatever pieces of resistance we have to the will that you have given to us in Scripture and that you might reshape us and form us into the image of Christ. And we ask this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as these people who were reading this letter, not in a room like this, a big room with electrical lights, air conditioning and heating. And these, these were people who were gathered probably in homes, someone standing up and reading this letter from the Apostle Peter, the one that had known the Lord Jesus, the one who had been called out by the Lord Jesus, the one who was sending this letter around. They were people who we can tell from, from the letter itself were not just facing hard times, but they were confused as to why they ought to be facing hard times. Peter has to remind them that they shouldn't be surprised that they're going through a fiery trial. They shouldn't be surprised that there are people who don't like them. They shouldn't be surprised that some of them are coming under persecution because Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was marginalized. Jesus was outcast. And the spirit of Jesus is resting upon them, and so they will experience the exact same thing. The question is not whether they will endure hardship. The question is how will they endure hardship? And Peter writes to them about what it means to bear the glory of God. He says later in this letter, if you are mistreated, you are blessed because the spirit of glory rests upon you. He tells them how to manifest that glory in public in this section. And there are three things that I want us to notice that he talks about here. Gospel scandal, gospel community, and gospel engagement. Notice, notice, first of all, he starts with this issue of gospel scandal. He says, I want you to remember what the Scripture says, that God is laying a cornerstone. And he says that that cornerstone is chosen and precious, but people have rejected the cornerstone. And he says, so that cornerstone, instead of being for them what it's intended to be, that, that part of the building that everything else is built up upon and built out from there, it becomes for them 
something in their path, something in their way that trips them up. It becomes a stone of stumbling. It becomes a rock of offense. They become scandalized by this and they hate it. Peter says, don't be surprised by that. Don't be afraid of that. Now, let me tell you why that's important. As you are moving out into whatever sort of callings that God has has put you in, whether that is calling you out to serve the Lord in a dangerous part of the world, in a closed country in the Middle East, or whether or not that is God putting you in a changing American culture where increasingly even holding to some of the most basic teachings of the Bible can cause people to lash out at you, maybe even eventually persecute you in some ways. One of the temptations that we can often have is to say, in order to move out into our public life without getting that kind of response from people, The way that we can do it is by building a bridge with those people in which we find out what are those parts of the gospel that are not going to be offensive. And let's start with those parts of the gospel, and then we can eventually work our way over into those parts of the gospel that are less offensive. Now, the problem with that is that you cannot do that without losing the gospel itself. And the apostle Peter knew that better than anybody. The apostle Peter was the one who was constantly trying to find a way to express the glory of God in public without offending people, without being a scandal. He's the one when, as J.D. mentioned a few minutes ago, that multiplication of the loaves and the fishes started to happen there on the seashore. The people start responding to the word of God. Everyone is thrilled and everyone is glad that this is happening. People are finally gathering. They're finally listening to this. And Jesus stands up and says, I don't think you all have understood what I'm about. What I'm about is this. Unless you chew on my skin and drink my blood, you can have nothing to do with this new movement that I'm starting. Now, any time that you are involved in any kind of meeting, business meeting, religious meeting, political meeting, whatever it is, anytime you're in that meeting and the person says, in order for you to sign up with me, you need to eat my skin and drink my blood, most of us are going to leave. Say the price of this is just too high. The crowd started doing this and Peter himself said, Lord, what are you doing? See, he wanted to take that offense away. He wanted to take that scandal away. Jesus wanted to drive it in even deeper. When Jesus said, just minutes after Peter had confessed by the power of the Spirit, you are the living Christ. The Son of God will be handed over and be crucified. Peter says, never will we let that happen. 
Peter wanted a gospel. He wanted good news without the scandal and humiliation of a crucified Messiah. And Jesus, who just a few verses before had praised him as speaking from the Holy Spirit, now says he's speaking from Satan. And when Jesus is arrested and is on his way toward crucifixion, Peter is in the public square. He's standing around a charcoal fire. When people are coming up and wanting to know, are you with that one, that Jesus who has come from Galilee? Peter doesn't want the offense. He doesn't want the scandal, and he curses. But something's changed now in Peter's life. Spirit has come upon Peter with power, and Peter here is saying, you need to understand that what the gospel is is a stone of stumbling. It is a rock of offense. You cannot get around that. As you're living out your life in whatever place that God puts you, you're going to find that there are going to be many times when simply acknowledging Jesus Christ becomes scandalous. And even when it does not, the minute that you actually define what it means to follow Jesus Christ, it becomes scandalous. If people are not scandalized and offended by Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his gospel, it is only because they have not understood it. And that's not only true of lost people. If you do not find yourself in your flesh initially responding the way that Peter does, Lord, what are you doing? And yet, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. It is only because you do not understand what the gospel is saying to you. As long as you think that the gospel is here to help you to meet all of your dreams and all of your expectations for yourself and to give you comfort through all of that as you work through your agenda and then to go to heaven when you die, you do not understand the gospel. You do not understand the kingdom and you do not understand the glory of God. He says it comes with this scandal. It comes with this offense. It is always controversial because it is speaking of a way in which Jesus of Nazareth is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. We'd been going in my family through Exodus in our home and our family devotions, and my fourth son was a little bitty guy then. He was maybe three or four years old, and we're really having a good time studying through Exodus until I found out that in their Sunday school class, they had just uh, sang together, Jesus Loves Me, and my little cherub-faced little boy Jonah had said to the other children in the Sunday school class, Jesus loves everybody, but sometimes he attacks people with frogs. <laughs> Sunday school teacher comes and says, you know, what's going on at your house? I have to explain that. 
but I didn't really apologize very much because Jesus does sometimes attack people with frogs. Jonah's got that one correct. He says, if you are preaching here an understanding of the gospel, and if you are living in an understanding of the gospel that both calls to repentance and speaks of mercy, you are going to have people offended by the call to repentance, and you are going to have people offended by the offer of mercy. He says, you don't try to squelch that, you lead with the strangeness, you lead with the freakishness, you lead with the stumbling rock, you lead with the offense. That is what the gospel is about. But it doesn't stop there. Peter moves from talking here about this gospel scandal to moving right on in to talking about gospel community. He says, there are going to be many who are going to stumble over this. They're going to disobey the word, but verse 9, but you are what? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He uses the language that is being used in the Old Testament for the people of God, the people of God who were to be a light to the nations, people of God who were to be a model to the rest of the world of what it means to live in submission to God, a people who were to show what the glory of God is all about. He says, that is who you are. There was a a study done a couple years ago that talked about why there are some communities in American life that do better than any other communities in American life. Mormons, for instance, and people who are part of certain immigrant groups from certain parts of the country who come in and they tend to succeed more than anybody else. And this study went in and said the reason that these groups succeed is because they've got what they call a triple package. They've got a sense of distinctiveness of chosenness that they're different from the rest of the world in a good way. And then they've also got a sense of insecurity. If all that you have is this sense of chosenness, the study said, and yet you don't have this sense of insecurity, of of strangeness to the world around you, then that's just going to lead to arrogance. It's just going to lead to to fatness in the way that that you operate. But if you see yourself as both distinct and unique and chosen and you're kind of strange and kind of disconnected from the world around you, you've got those two things going for you and you teach the next generation how to control impulses, then in every one of those communities, those are communities that thrive, that move forward. Now, it's funny to me that that is exactly what the Apostle Peter is saying here is true of the community of Christ called together by the gospel. He says, you are distinct because you are holy. You are chosen. God has called you. You have been taken out of darkness and into light. But then he he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say there's this insecurity. There's this strangeness. You are sojourners. You are exiles. You are 
freakish in the world as it is right now. You're not the same. You don't absorb into it. And then he says you control your impulses. He says keep yourself from the sins and the passions of the flesh. He writes to them and he says, you are the people of God. You are God's own people. And so what does that do for you? That ought to give you, first of all, a sense of confidence. Now, one of the reasons that it's so difficult for Christians to operate in the public square, whether that is in government, whether that's in politics, or whether that's on Facebook, is because often Christians lack the sort of confidence that the New Testament has. You see, if you don't have confidence, then what you're going to do is to constantly feel as though you're under siege. You're you're going to feel as though when people make fun of you, when people don't understand you, When people say things about Jesus and the gospel or about you that aren't true, that somehow you've got to fight back, and you've got to fight back just the way they do, with just as much anger and just as much vitriol. But you know why? The reason that we think that is because we don't have the kind of confidence that Peter has here. Peter isn't responding anymore the way that he was when that girl came up and said, aren't you one of of his? He cussed at her, screamed at her. He's not responding anymore the way that he did when the arresting officers came to get Jesus and he's cutting people's ears off. Peter has the confidence that the gospel is true, and he says, you are the people, you are the unique people, so therefore glorify God. Gives you a sense of confidence. But not only that, it gives you a sense of humility. He says, remember that you were once not a people, and now you are a people. Verse 10, remember that once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christians, in the way that we're interacting with people around us, whether it's on a college campus or whether it is in some digital medium or whether it is in uh, the arena of culture and politics, We are the people who understand that there is nothing that differentiates us from the lost people around us except for the power of the Holy Spirit of God in moving us from light to darkness, from death to life. You see, if you don't get that, and if you don't understand that, then you're going to assume that the people who aren't Christians are stupid, or the people who aren't Christians are particularly evil. We're the sort of people who get it. We're the sort of people who know. No, 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 no. Paul says, you don't have anything that you did not receive. There is nothing that makes you differ except for the grace of God. And so knowing that, that I was once not a people, Knowing that I was once someone without mercy, knowing that I was once in darkness and now I've been brought into the light, 
enables me to have a different attitude toward those who are on the outside. It empowers me to, as Peter says here later on, to show kindness to everyone because I understand and know what the situation is that they're in and I understand and know as I look around the community that God has formed and we see in one another, here you were, you were a drug addict. You were a prostitute. You were a self-righteous, unregenerate, but professing Christian hiding behind all your Bible verses. Whatever it was, we were all those who were without mercy. Now we have received mercy. Now we're this holy nation. Now we're this chosen people. But it is not because of our DNA. It is not because of our resumes. It is only because of the power of the glory of God. Working through the Holy Spirit, he says, you therefore... As strangers and exiles, keep yourself from the passions of the flesh. Which he says, notice, wage war against your soul. Now that's important because we're living in a culture now, as then, that wants to separate your body from who you are. So what happens with your body doesn't have anything to do with your soul except for temporal consequences. He says, the passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. Internet pornography is not just a matter of your body. Internet pornography is not just something that is rewiring your brain, although it is. Internet pornography is doing something to you in the spiritual realm that is waging war. You are under attack in your soul. You are a different person at the spiritual level. You are being destroyed at the spiritual level in your very being. He says, if you are strangers and exiles in this present order, then live like it glorify God by waging this war against all of those passions in order to be a chosen, a holy people that signifies and shows what the kingdom of God is like. And then notice finally, he talks here about gospel engagement. He says, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, there are probably people sitting there who are reading this who are saying, who cares about the people on the outside? Who cares what they think? He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He doesn't expect them not to be scandalous. He says, but make sure that what offends them is your gospel 
and that what offends them isn't you. There, there are some people who believe that somehow they are more spiritual if they are under attack and hostility from the lost people around them all the time. And so they are able to feel really spiritual because every lost people they know always thinks that they're a jerk and a freak. And it has absolutely nothing to do with Christ and him crucified. It has to do with the fact that they're a jerk and a freak. He said, no, no, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they see your good deeds, they may glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, your activity and your life in public around other people sends a signal of what God is like, about what God is about, about what the gospel is to be. And then he goes through saying to them, what this means is for you to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Honor the emperor. What a crazy thing to say. The emperor is someone who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The emperor is the one who is responsible for the persecution that is coming upon them. He says, honor the emperor. That doesn't just mean saying the sorts of things that we will say in order to get it out of the way, in order to just disrespect and eviscerate somebody. He says, no, no, you honor the emperor. You give honor, as Paul says in Romans 13, to those to whom honor is due. He says, you show kindness, you show honor to everyone, verse 17. You constantly are making sure that you are not using the freedom that God has given to you in order to cover over your evil. Jesus never did that. They asked for the temple tax. Jesus says, do I owe them a tax? Who are, who, who are these people? These aren't, even, these aren't even Israelites coming in and running this place. And I'm going to give a temple tax to maintain my father's house? He says, who do you come and get that from? Do you get that from the sons? No, no, no. He says, but so that we won't offend them, let's pay the tax. Now, this is Jesus. Doesn't have one bit of problem offending them. He offends them every day. But he wants to make sure when he offends them, he is offending them with the word of God that pierces the conscience, not with some meaningless thing that has everything to do with something temporal. We don't offend them with that. We offend them with what matters. We want to make sure that when they see that stone of stumbling, what they're stumbling over is something that has the power to bring them to repentance and faith. He says, make sure that you do this. Make sure that you are honoring and living as those who are free by doing good so that, he says, you might put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You're engaging, but you're engaging as people who have a mission to accomplish. That means that you're thinking strategically. It's easy to simply get on Facebook and eviscerate 
everybody who disagrees with you about everything. But are these people that you are wanting to not only shape, but people that you are wanting to lead ultimately to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? He says, keep your conduct honorable. And the reason you keep that conduct honorable, the reason that you show honor, the reason that you show kindness, the reason that you show obedience where it is appropriate and where it is due, is so that you may glorify God. You're a chosen people, chosen nation, a holy people, a holy nation. He's using language here in this letter of a temple. What happens in the temple? When the temple is built, the glory of God floods through the temple. And God is present connecting heaven to earth there. So that the other peoples of the world can look and say, that is where God dwells. And in that place and in that temple, there's the glory of God. He's there with his people. And not only that, there is blood. Sacrifices are made for the sins of the people. And this temple is the place of God's mercy. That physical structure doesn't exist anymore. Now the church, the people of God, we are the ones who carry within us the glory of God. And Peter says that glory doesn't mean that we're going to be more successful than anybody else. The glory doesn't mean we're going to be more popular than anybody else. The glory means that when people who are scared of the light that they see in the face of Christ, see it in you, they're going to respond to you exactly the way that they did the one on whom that glory first rested, your Lord Jesus. But you also are the people who carry with you the message of the blood that is able to take any sinner, any rebel against God and reconcile. As we move forward, we speak honestly about God's justice. We speak honestly about the call to repentance. But we never do that for the reason of defeating our enemies. We never do that for the purpose of winning an argument. We never do that for the reason of building up our own power. We do that as the people who are calling the rest of the world to mercy. Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Peter says when that happens, and sometimes it can take a long time. Most people don't see your good deeds, as Peter says, and immediately turn around and say, what must I do to be saved? Often what happens is sometimes it will take months and months or years and years, and it takes a crisis that happens in the life of that person 
before they hear what it is that they've heard from you, they see what it is that they've seen from you, and they ask, where can I go to find that? Where can I go to receive that? But he says, the word of God brings with it its own power so that when they see it, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, I pray for the men and women in this room. I pray for all of the different places that you will put them in public. Father, I pray for those that you will put in places of of, uh, great visibility and responsibility in business or in ministry or in journalism or in medicine or whatever it is. I pray for those that you will put in, in places that may not be as visible but will be just as significant and just as important. And Father, I pray that you will enable us to move forward as ambassadors, as missionaries, and those who will point to the glory that is found, not in our power, but in the cross and the empty tomb. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.